Well, good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to our uh, continued study in the book of Romans. We are in the middle of the third chapter um, of that book. Um, and before we pick up our reading and pick up where we are in the book of Romans, let's go to our great God in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we do give you worship and praise uh, this uh, glorious morning because in it, uh, your glory is revealed both um, in your works of creation, how uh, the heavens and the earth um, pour forth uh, speech and their praises for you, but also for the glory of uh, your gospel, your good news to us that we will see um, so succinctly um, expressed in your word this morning as the Apostle Paul um, extends hope to us who, uh, as we've seen in the past uh, several weeks, are hopeless apart um, from the saving work of Jesus Christ. So uh, help us uh, to glory in your good news to us even as we seek to understand it, um, to plumb its unfathomable depths, um, to understand um, how truly good uh, your good news is. Lord, um, guide us by your spirit that you've given us to guide us into all matters of truth concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, show us ourselves, our, um, uh, our faithless hearts, and give us uh, that faith in the redeeming and uh, sacrificial work of our Savior Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he gives that allows us to stand in your presence uh, both now and in all eternity. Uh, teach us, we pray, not just our minds, but our hearts and our wills as well. We ask in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, well, good morning. Um, if you're just joining us in our study of the book of Romans, uh, you've missed over the last couple weeks a pretty uh, bleak picture that Paul has painted uh, of humanity. So beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1 and going through uh, verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul has been focused on the totality and universality of human sinfulness. Um, coming to that crescendo that we saw last week, uh, in chapter 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Um, so both uh, Jew and, and Gentile are both alike um, in, in the presence of God as sinners. Uh, so um, with that bleak picture, or as um, uh, Tim Keller puts it, against that uh, dark black background of human sinfulness um, in the middle of chapter 3 breaks forth the glorious diamond of God's grace. So I will uh, begin our reading this morning in chapter 3. I'll start in verses, verse 19, just to give us a little taste because, um, as we'll see, verse 21 begins with an um, adversative conjunction, so just to give us a sense of why the but is there. Um, but I'll read uh, uh, verse 19 through the end of chapter 3. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the wor whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Uh, may he open it in our hearts and minds as we discuss it together this morning. All right, well, let's start um, with what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, would refer to uh, as the two most glorious words in Scripture, <laughs> but now. <laughs> um, so uh, as we think of this but now, um, what is the contrast that Paul is making? Um, so, but, you know, is a contrast. It's, it's something that's um, contrasting what follows from what goes before. Um, so what is the contrast that Paul is trying to make as he transitions here in verse 21? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, and the condemnation of the law is deserving of God's wrath. I mean, think back to how um, back in chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed or made manifest um, against all ungodliness. And now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. So he's given us this, as you say, this description of our sinfulness. And that sinfulness um, under God's law and commandments is deserving of God's wrath and, and judgment. Um, and that is the condition, that is the situation we stand in, that all people stand in 
apart from the righteousness of God. So it's this bleak picture of human sin that is deserving of God's judgment. Good. What else would we say about this but now? So what about the other half of the contrast? So if, the, if it's being contrasted to human sinfulness um, that is deserving of God's wrath, that God's wrath is, has been manifested um, against human sinfulness, um, uh, what, what is Paul contrasting with that? Yeah, Kathy. Yeah, so un, he's, he's established that, you know, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Like, that's the standard. You know, the standard is not going to be ignored. The standard can't be kept by human beings, by sinful human beings. We have failed. Um, but now, um, we're not left uh, hopeless um, or like the way Luther described himself, you, you know, you either get angry at yourself that you can't keep the law, or you're like Luther, angry at God, because <laughs> the standard is so high. <laughs> um, and so that's the situation that we're in until God does something. Like we are kind of stuck in this situation until God breaks forth, and that's you know why. Martin Lloyd-Jones. In Ephesians, it's not but now, it's but God. Um, and, and that's like, those are the glorious words of human history. God intervenes to save us from this hopeless condition that we're in. It's God has doing something. Um, he's intervening to give us a righteousness, a righteousness that comes not from works of the law, because that righteousness we, we can't do. We can't righteous ourselves through the law. Good. What else um, would you say he's contrasting here? Yeah, that now is that eschatological now, that it's at this moment, God broke in to human history um, by, by um, incarnating Jesus. Uh, Christ comes, is incarnate in the flesh, and as Paul is going to go on to show us, makes the propitiatory sacrifice by his blood that allows us to, by faith, to access the righteousness of God, to justify us um, through his act. Yeah, Tim.
yeah, there's a discontinuity and a continuity at the same time. Like, so the but now, there's a discontinuity. Like, you know, something has happened to change things. God has decisively acted um, to change things. So it's, it's new. Like, the, there, it, it's a New Testament for a reason. But at the same time, this New Testament isn't undoing what has been done before. It's, it's actually been spoken of by the law and prophets. And that's when, when we get to chapter 4, not next week because Stephen Atkinson's going to be here next week, but in two weeks when we turn to chapter 4, that's going to be Paul's whole point, is that the exemplar of a righteousness that comes through faith is Abraham. Um, you know, the, the one who we uh, you know, think of as the father of that old covenant, um, the father of the, 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 uh, you know, the covenant that creates the nation, the distinct identity of Israel, and this is true of him. It's not just, you know, but now, for the, it's not just something available to people now, but no, this has been the plan, this has been the hope, this has been the faith that has been required all along. But now, in a particular moment in history, God incarnated his son to do these acts that bring salvation to all people, both before and after the cross. Oh, I heard somebody. Um, so, um, so what is it about faith that makes it... Um, so powerful, or makes it the basis for our being able to access this righteousness of God. Okay, so it's faith itself is not a work; um, it's an it's a it's a receptive act. Um, we we believe. Um, is that all? Yeah, that there's a real need, um, and that real need is not met in us. And so it's not just faith. Um, you know, it's not, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher the quote. I should have looked at it, Googled it and looked it up. But Dwight Eisenhower is famous for saying, our nation is built on faith. I don't care. It doesn't matter which one it is, like something to that extent. Like, um, and that's not true <laughs> uh, from, from Paul's perspective. It's not just, oh, believe, believe in something. Um, so it's a belief in Christ Jesus. Um, it's a belief in Jesus Christ. It's literally the two words are smushed together. Jesus Christ faith. Like it's the, Jesus is the object of our faith. It's not just that we believe. And it's not the quality of our belief. I believe a lot, and therefore I'm saved. No, it's the object of the one who we trust is the one who delivers us. And that requires, um, as Cynthia is saying, we, we have, have an understanding 
of our need. Like, and, and that's what Paul has kind of been doing in the last couple of chapters. Bringing us to the end of ourselves. Showing us that our self-righteousness is no righteousness at all. In fact, pours more condemnation upon us because of our failure to do the things that we know we should do. Um, but something has happened uh, in human history. Um, God has revealed himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who has done things for us, and we can trust in Christ and in his work. Um, I like how, um, I think, I, I, I'm constantly listening to uh, commentaries on Romans, and they all kind of blend together after a while. <laughs> um, so I can't remember exactly uh, who, who said this one. It's either John Stott or Tim Keller, um, but I love the, the, the illustration. So it's not belief in itself. Like, I could believe I sh could strap on, and this is the illustration that I can't remember who, did, who, who gave it. Um, I, I can believe that if I strap on wings to myself, I can fly across the ocean and be really strongly convicted that that can really happen. Um, but, you know, probably not going to happen. <laughs> I can be super fearful that I'm going to get on that uh, jet at Logan and it's going to carry me across the ocean. Now, so one, strong faith, it's going to happen. I really believe I can fly across the ocean. Um, but, you know, what's, what's different, it's not the you know, how much one believes. It's the object one's putting one's faith in. And in this case, it's not um, the quality of faith that um, uh, opens us to this receiving this righteousness of God. It's the object of that faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Um, that is what um, uh, makes the faith effective. Good. What else might we say about this faith? Yeah, Ron. Yep. It, the, this faith is um, is universally available. Um, it's it's not the exclusive privilege or right of of any one group of people. It's faith that is universally available. It's available to anyone. This righteousness of God is available to anyone who has faith in Christ. Um, it's, and, and that's why he goes back to this. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The need is universal. And so therefore the remedy is, is universal as well. That it's just as the need is universal, so is the, the, um, the remedy that all who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, it's, it's free. It's not like, um, <laughs> uh, dang it, it's not here yet. Um, oh, there you are. You're hiding. So Dana knows um, I, I've been, in, in, for the last month, <laughs> for this entire semester, I've been at loggerheads with the dean of my college um, because I'm department chair right now. And 
um, we have this new faculty policy manuals that um, that that we we have a difference in interpretation. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, uh, so one of my faculty members is expecting a child, and and there's the faculty policy manual clearly spells out a benefit, like if a a mother is going to give birth during the semester, they that, that birth mother receives this benefit. It's, it's gift. Don't have to do anything. The college is giving you this. Another part um, says you can also earn something. Like you can work in order to achieve some time off. And so, um, he was trying to interpret provision two in a way that negated <laughs> provision one. Um, like, so, it, so we have a horrible policy. You only get half pay if you're, um, yeah, you have to go on half pay if you're giving birth. But the way I read it, there's a mechanism by which you can earn the other half. He was interpreting, you'd have to earn the whole thing. <laughs> and, and I've been saying to him, but that removes the benefit. <laughs> like, where is the benefit that the person is entitled to? And that's the idea here, that it's benefit. It's not compensation for works performed. Um, it is, uh, as Tim said, it's free. <laughs> uh, it's not free with an asterisk. Um, you know, it's not free plus shipping and handling. Um, it's, it's not free uh, with 12-month subscription. It's free. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's something that God is doing and God is giving to us. Um, it is gift. It is not something that we merit through performance of the works of the law. It is a righteousness of God that comes to us through gift. It's free. Um, some people think that Paul here is like quoting um, some pre-existing Christian formula just because if you haven't noticed, these verses, um, especially 21 through 26, are jam-packed with all kinds of, of salvation language. I mean, we get justification, we get redemption, we get atonement, um, you know, we get grace, we get faith, we get the righteousness of God. It's all being squeezed into this tight little package of the good news. Like, um, in a sense, um, what, what Paul in chapter 1, verses 16 and 70, 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. In a sense, he is unpacking that um, more. Like, how is it that it's available to everyone, Jew and Greek? How is the gospel the power of God unto salvation? How is it that we access the righteousness of God through faith? That's what he's giving us in these six verses in, in chapter 3.
So, so think of it a couple ways. So justification is legal language. Um, it's how can we stand um, in God's courtroom? You know, so we're called before in the courtroom of God, um, and we're standing, God is standing in judgment over us. And the penalty for us being judged guilty is suffering the wrath of God. Um, so justification is a declarative um, judicial act, or people call it forensic to carry that, that legal kind of um, aspect. It is declaring us righteous, that in the presence of, of God in this courtroom, he's saying not guilty. Um, even though we are. And we'll see, it's not that he's pretending that we haven't done what we've done. It's because someone else has paid the penalty that we deserve. So in God's sight, we are righteous. So, so justification is a forensic act. Sanctification is how God in life is applying that righteousness to us. So it is, he, he's making us what he's already declared us to be. So it's, it's a transforming process. So we are actually become the thing that God declares us to be because he, in Christ, is changing us. Um, and we'll see this, like this chain um, in chapter 8. We'll get to sort of spell out the, the rela relationship between these various terms, adoption, sanctification, justification, glorification, um, and see that they're, they're each describing a different aspect of the salvation process. Um, but, but justification is that, that declarative one. Um, it's the one, like, we, we can't get any more saved than we are when God justifies us. Like, it's, we're secure. So our sanctification process is an outflowing of what the work that God has already done in us. We, sanctification doesn't save us in that sense. Um, it's part of how God saves us and applies his saving work to us, you know, in time that he's actually doing a redemptive work in our, um, in our bodies. Um, but it's the moment of justification uh, is the moment by which, like, like sanctification isn't going to undo that. That declared of act. Does that make sense? You want to jump in there, Matthew? Did I do all right on that? <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, which actually, uh, I just answered my next question, but I'll ask it for y'all. <laughs> um, no, actually, I had a question before that. So, what does it mean? Um, so, I, I get the idea that we're all sinners. Um, you know, if you've read verses uh, or from 118 to 320, if you can come away and say we're not all sinners, then you, you're, you need a different book. Uh, <laughs> that is the clear and obvious answer. Um, but what does it mean that we're, we've all fallen short of the glory of God? So sinners we get fall short of the glory of God. What's he getting to there? Yeah, Cynthia. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, uh, and I'm glad you kept going there and got to, we're created in his image. This is part of our makeup, is God, who in his glory is, you know, God's glory is his magnificent presence, is, is usually how, you know, to, to experience God's glory is to be in God's magnificent, magnificent presence. And every time anybody in the Bible outside the Garden of Eden stands in God's presence, they're undone by it. And even in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree, like, what do they do when they, they go hide themselves? Like, you know, it, it, God has, they've been in God's presence prior to that moment. And now they're they're undone by their by being in His presence, um, and that's because we are created to to be bearers of God's glory, um, to reflect the glory of the Creator who has made us in His image. Um, and it's not just we've sinned; we we failed to to do that. Thing for which we were created. Um, and again, it's why, um, you know, it, it's, it's part of why our good works aren't really good, because often we do them for our own glory. We're not doing them for the right purpose. Rather than doing them to honor and glorify God, we're doing them because we, you know, we, we want people to think better of us, or we think we're going to get some kind of reward, or, you know, on and on and on. We're always doing it from some selfish, self-seeking motive. Um, so it's not just our sin, <clears throat> excuse me, not just our sin that keeps us from God. It's the failure of our good works to, to measure up to what we're called to do. They're, they're falling short of that created purpose. Like, you know, this is what the Westminster... Shorter catechism is getting in that first question and answer. Like, what is the chief purpose of man? The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're created for. And because of, of um, sin, we aren't meeting the purpose by which God has made us or for which God has made us. We fall short of, of what he's called us to be. So that's why not just our sin, but our good works fall short um, of that standard of, of what we're called to be, who we're called to be. Okay.
Absolutely. And it's the, the problem with the law isn't the law. It's our failure to, to keep the law. Like the, the command is objectively good. As you say, it reflects the glory, glory of God. It is God's standard. And that standard has to be met. Um, and so rather than, as he says here, do we then overthrow the law by this day? By no means. And, you know, um, like the by no means, like it's a, an emphatic way of saying no. <laughs> um, like, um, like sometimes you'll get, um, I think it's the uh, King James says, God forbid. Like it, it, it has, it's, it's not just a no, it's like emphatically no. <laughs> um, and part of the way we see that the law is not, um, um, law is without meaning or purpose is by the how um, redemption is being accomplished. Redemption is being accomplished through Christ's perfect obedience to the law. Um, that he is um, performing the works that we ourselves failed to do. Um, so as we think, go back to our courtroom, it is a, a decorate, declaration of, of, of God saying not guilty um, because the penalty is being paid by someone else and the righteousness is being provided by someone else. It, it's a true, it's not, you know, not guilty pretending that our sin doesn't exist. It's not like if, like when I give an assignment and a student doesn't turn it in, that I'm like, oh, well, I'll just give them an A anyway. Like, that wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be right. Um, but if, you know, in this case, uh, or, your, or the idea of redemption is often, you know, a slave or a debtor or somebody who is, um, uh, a condemned criminal and someone pays the price of redemption, pays the debt, pays to have the slave freed, pays the penalty of the crime. That's the kind of language that's being given here. That, so it's not a, oh, well, sin doesn't matter. No, it's sin matters so much that God's son had to die to pay for that sin so that you and I can live and stand in his presence and, and be able to live the lives which God has made us to live, um, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like The only way we can do that is through Christ under the law, taking our sin upon himself and making that sacrifice um, that, and paying for our sin that we can't perform ourselves. Um, let's see, I'm trying to decide what to go next. See, there's just so much in here. I, I'm like, really, like, this was the hardest week ever to like, I want to have a question on every word, but we can't have a question on every word. Um, but um, but let's, uh, let's talk about a word, because <laughs> um, it's not a, a word that's very familiar to our, our modern speak. And that's propitiation. So what is Paul saying here when he says in verse um, 25, um, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith? 
propitiation. Bet you haven't used that word in a natural <laughs> conversation this week. Yeah, Teresa. Okay, so satisfaction, appeasement of something done, payment, okay. Ronnie, you had your hand up. You know. Okay, so in the word here, um, uh, in the Septuagint, the, which is why the NIV is probably giving that note, in the Septuagint, every time you see the word mercy seat, it's the same word that's being used here for, um, I actually wrote down the Greek word, it is hilasterion. Um, so the, the idea is it's, it's an atoning act, um, so it's, it's what's happening on that uh, mercy seat, the cover over the ark where Yahweh appeared and on which the sacrificial blood was poured on the yearly day of atonement. Okay, we're fleshing this out. What else do we mean by propitiation? Does anybody have a different word than propitiation? Different? Covering, yep. Um, uh, so that idea that, um, you know, and as we think of this, um, uh, it's a, a covering of our sin. Sometimes translations, so there's two words that often get translated here. One is expiation and one is propitiation. So expiation refers to the cleansing of sin and removal of sin's guilt. So it's an, it's an act by which our sin is cleansed and, and removed. Propitiation is a specific way, or uh, like a term that includes expiation, but takes it even farther. Um, propitiation refers to the assuaging of God's wrath and the gaining of his favor. So the act of atonement is doing both those things. It's, it's covering our sin or, or removing our sin it's removing God's wrath, but also the gaining, granting of his favor. Now, people often use expiation um, as in translations um, like um, the RSV, for example, uses expiation. And it's, it's partly theological. They don't like the idea of God having wrath and anger that somehow has to be appeased and turned away. Um, you know, so expiate is kind of the softer term. Well, it's removing cleansing of sin. It seems more positive. But um, I think the ESV is right here in translating it propitiation because that's what Paul's been talking about. You know, back in chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Sin makes God angry. Um, it's not just Oh, you know, it's like sometimes when, um, sometimes when your kids do things like bad, it's kind of cute. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it might be a mess, but it's so funny that you're, you know, it's, you know, you don't mind that much. Like, um, but sometimes kids do things wrong that, um, that it just invokes your anger. <laughs> um, in this case, like, all sin is invokes God's anger. There's, there's nothing cute about our wrongdoing. It involves God's real anger 
And that anger is just. Like, it's not like when I get angry and I fly off the handle and, you know, I am uneven in the attitude of my anger toward whatever act provoked it. God's anger is perfect. It's just. It's, it's, it's based on his, his, his own character, his, his perfect goodness. So his, like, you think like um, in the, the um, Westminster Shorter Catechism and the description of God, it, it has the God's um, attributes that God himself possesses alone. Like only he, he is, you know, is, um, uh, you know, perfect. And, and then you have all the communicable attributes, things that we share. Um, so God's wrath, which is something we share, is not like our wrath because of something, God's wrath is perfect. <laughs> God's wrath is perfectly good. Um, it is right and measured, and it has to be dealt with. Um, and, and that's what Paul is getting at by this phrase um, at the end of verse 26. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because justification has to proceed in a way that doesn't violate God's character. God can't just say, oh well, your sin, I'm just going to ignore it. No. <laughs> that sin deserves a penalty. Um, I mean, and if, if God just passed it over, what would we think about the integrity of God? I mean, think about it. There's a judge in Boston, for example, who every now and then, um, I think it's the Herald, like, uh, it's probably Howie Carr, and the Herald goes on a rant about this one particular judge that every criminal attorney who is defending a DUI uh, case wants to get before this judge because he, he has the reputation of, okay, being lenient, like passing it over. And it makes other people really angry <laughs> because that, isn't, that doesn't seem like justice. If, if there's a crime on the books and somebody is arrested and, and, um, and is clearly guilty of that crime, not to punish them is wrong. Uh, and that's what, um, why the atonement has to happen the way it does. So God's justice can be met in a way that is according to his character, but also in a way that sinful people can stand in his presence. So how can a sinner stand in the presence of a perfectly righteous God? By having their sin propitiated. And how's that going to happen? It happens by the redeeming blood of, of God's own son, whom God sent for that purpose. Um, so it's, um, and again, people don't like propitiation because it, it has this kind of pagan connotation that gods are angry and we must turn away their wrath by you know, making this sacrifice to them. In this case, it's God who is propitiating God's wrath by making the sacrifice. And that's the, what's different about propitiation in the Old Testament. Like The Old Testament is clear. God is providing the sacrifice for which, for the mercy seat, for which his people sin to be taken away. It's God acting for his people to 
remove the thing that makes them odious to himself. Yeah, it makes it, what, what it does is it makes sin not really, not really sinful. Like, that there's not an offense, it removes the offense from sin. Like, if, if there's not any real punishment for it, then why really worry about it at all? Like, if, like, again, if, like, um, if I'm a professor that um, doesn't have an attendance policy, guess what? People stop showing up to my class. <laughs> Like, you know, or if I just, like, grant everybody, oh, I don't count it, like, or I have an attendance policy and I don't apply it, like, what's the good of having the policy? If, like, you know, no, it, the, the commandment is real and the penalty is real. Like, God's human sin deserves God's wrath. It is real. And therefore, sin is awful. And to, to take away that the real weight and penalty is to make sin less than what it is, which is really awful. Um, it, like, it, it makes it more like a little peccadillo or something you can ignore and look over rather than what it truly is, an offense in God's sight, um, an offense that has to be removed. Like, it's I'm trying to think of like, it's like, uh, like, have you ever been in a room that stank so bad you couldn't stay in there? Like, like, like the effect on you, is, and like, and like, uh, and I have been in rooms, usually locker rooms. <laughs> um, like, and and you'll have people like, t t like try to tough it. Like, no, everybody comes out of the room like weeping and crying because it's just so horrible. And it's that idea, like how can something that is completely intolerable be made tolerable? Well, the offense has to be removed, like, because it, it truly is offensive. Um, all right, uh, well, let's uh, talk, we've talked a lot about um, verses 21 through 26. Um, so after that, Paul then um, kind of goes back to this kind of dialogue form. Um, uh, where he talks about, you know, uh, ask all these, these questions. Um, so what is Paul getting at in these, these kind of questions after he gives us these, this heavy, um, very intense doctrinal proposition about how redemption is accomplished and applied to us by faith? Um, he then goes into these kind of questions and answers. So what strikes you about this list of questions? Or what's he, what's he trying to, what kind of objections or, or dialogue is he trying to engage in here? We can start with boasting. Like, what does boasting have to do with any of what he's just been saying. Yeah, Ron. Yeah. 
yeah, if you think about, you know, what do you boast in? Like, you know, boasting is an expression of, of pride. Like, what am I proud of? What do I boast in? Um, and if you understand the gospel that he's just presented, there is no ground for human boasting. There's no ground for human pride. Um, the only acceptable place for pride is pride in, in, in what God has done. Pride, being proud of Jesus. It's not being proud of ourselves. It's not, so it, you know, this gospel does away any ground for us being able to boast and to say, I deserve something. I earned this. Um, and this is important. It's um, keep these questions in, in mind as we, we get into chapter four, because there are a lot of verbal links um, uh, between this section and three. Like some people see chapter four as being an expansion of these questions he's asking in chapter three, because he's going to talk about boasting. Is he going to talk about God being the God of Jews only? He's going to talk about circumcision. He's going to talk about the, the place of the law. All of these things are going to come up in the next chapter. Um, and with the boasting, um, in chap ver verse 2 of chapter 4, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Um, so it's that idea that, well, if, if it's... If salvation is all by works, that gives us something to boast about. But if it's gift, something we receive, then we personally have nothing to boast about because it's, it's not something we've done. It's something that God has done for us. Absolutely, and, and it's a universal uh, theme in Paul that it's, uh, it, and it goes back to what um, um, Tim said earlier, that this is something we received by a free gift of God, um, and it's not something that we've worked for or earned or deserved, um, but it's, it's the workmanship of God. Um, you know, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like, so the good that we do um, is, is the work of God in us. So we have no room to, to boast about anything, even the good we do. It's all from Christ. Um, Oh, I had a good line on this somewhere. Let's see if I can. I'm not going to be able to lay my hand on it. This is why I should write stuff down and not just bring a lot of books. Uh, <laughs> I ran out of time. This is what happens when you have to go to Dallas for three days and sit in a hotel conference room. Um, you 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 run out of time to like take notes on things. Um, yeah.
yeah, it has a lot to do with, you know, again, what makes us, it, like, think about, um, like, if, I don't know if any of you are familiar with um, DJ DJ, D. James Kennedy's Evangelism Explosion, but, you know, he, he has a couple of questions, like, um, you know, that he you know, suggests that are good ways to start an, an evangelism encounter with someone. And it's, and it's basically like, um, if you died tonight, what would you say to God to justify being in his heaven? And like, you can see, well, it, you know, whatever you say to defend yourself in that moment. Well, I've gone to church every Sunday, and I've taught Sunday school, and I tithe regularly, and, you know, I volunteer at this place. Like, all of that is a form of boast, like you're, you're listing. Or, you know, uh, think about, like, again, think about the things that, ways we express sinful pride. Well, I'm an American, not just American, I'm a Southern American. <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, um, or like with my siblings, like, you know, um, uh, I went to Vanderbilt, they went to Tennessee, like, you know, so I make fun of their college, they make fun of my football team. <laughs> um, you know, like, it, it's all like, you know, all these things that we put our hope, trust, identity, pride in, the gospel undoes those things. Like, there's no room for that um, as we stand in the presence of God. All of that um, is, is, is irrelevant. Um, <laughs> and, and literally, it's, it's, I keep going to, to what Paul says in Philippians 3, but that's what Paul is doing in Philippians 3. He's giving a catalog of everything he's proud of of the nation of Israel, a Benjamite, circumcised on the eighth day, as to the works of the law, scrupulous, as to zeal, a Pharisee, like, and it's all rubbish <laughs> compared to the surpassing greatness of what we get through Jesus Christ. Um, and, and this righteousness of God, um, I love this line, um, and I'll, I'll end with this. As we think of you know, the application of this righteousness of God. Um, the righteousness of God is our standing place in the air. That is to say, where there is no human possibility of standing. <laughs> like, imagine, like me, I used to imagine as a kid, like I could hover in the air. <laughs> I can't. Um, but, but it's that idea, like, how can you stand in the air? Like, you know, it, you can only stand there if, if on the basis of the righteousness of God. You can only be there if the foundations are laid by God himself and supported always by him only, the place where we are wholly in his hands. Um, and that's what, you know, Paul is getting, like, it's not, now that we've got the gospel, we need to move on to something else. No, this gospel, this righteousness of, from God is what allows us to stand there continuously. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, purely and totally gift from God. It's, it's the effect of his free grace, and there is zero room for boasting in that. And we'll come up um, on that theme again in a couple weeks um, when we get into chapter four. But let me close our time uh, today in prayer. 
Gracious God, we do thank you for um, this glorious truth that you've uh, presented us, um, that we have the righteousness of God manifested apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ, who has made an atoning sacrifice for our sins, propitiating your wrath and giving us right standing in your presence, receiving um, the justification that you give to us by your free grace. Lord God, this is good news. And this is, um, gives us cause to worship and glorify you. And we pray that you would give us uh, those kinds of hearts as we, uh, even now, in the coming hour, uh, worship corporately um, the God of our grace and the God of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, um, who has given us his spirit that allows us to um, have the lips by which we can sing and we pray and rejoice in your good news. Bless us now as we come to worship you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.